The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Money in Your Life, the radio program that gives you the insight and motivation to be more successful with all aspects of your personal finances. Your hosts are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Today's program will feature experts and intriguing ideas that will show you how money is actually operating in your life. Now, here are Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. Welcome to Money in Your Life a show where we explore the influence of money in your life with a wide variety of authors and experts. We give you practical information so that you can open up your own conversations around money and make your money work for you. I'm Brian Farr. And I'm Ann Hutchins. Today, we, we had been hoping to meet with Kate Levinson, the author of Emotional Currency, but unfortunately, we're having some technical difficulties. Hopefully, Kate will be able to join us a little later in the show. So what we wanted to do was work with the uh, answer, speak about some of the uh, topics that came up last week on our show, and speak about the um, answer some of the emails that have arrived since last week. And we'd also like if you if you have a question as we go through, we will be accepting callers in the second part of our show. So. Yes, we'll give you that that number. The phone number will come in. Um, we'll be taking a break in about 15, 20 minutes, and there'll be the phone number then. And as always, we have the uh, you can reach us via email, and our email address is moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. That's moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Great. So, Anne, we get a chance to speak more directly with each other and speak about these topics. Last week, we had a caller, David, called from Oregon, and he, was, he spoke about the situation he's got with his two sons who are um, out of college now. Right. And we've gotten other emails about that. Um, let's see, shall I read this one that we had? Well, let me just remember because, as I recall, David's David's question was really great, and at the time I thought, "Wow, we could spend we could spend several shows on this." And David's question was about having he has four adult children, two stepchildren, and two uh, his children, and he was asking about when those children. How to, how to make those give those children a sense of okay it's time to support yourself how far <laughs> he should go in supporting them and how far because he, he said he really wanted them to start getting doing the work of getting a job and going out and earning money and so, and one of the things that I think he came to, and we didn't have a lot of time with him, but one of the things that he came to in the conversation was his responsibility of smoothing the path for their transition, not financially, 
but mm-hmm. conversationally. And this is something mm-hmm. that will come up a lot in our conversation is communication and how you have conversations with your spouse, your children, and your parents at different stages and different ages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And that's one of the things that I've seen in, in working. I've been – it's over 10 years now that I've been working with with people around the topic of finances. And for whatever reason, it's many times it's difficult for us to open up a conversation around money. Uh, you know, we're going along in our life, maybe watching TV, maybe just having dinner, and to open up the conversation of, oh, by the way, I want to talk about my student loan debt. Uh, or oh, by the way, you know those those are hard to do. Those are very difficult. Um, so, what tools have you found in working with your clients that they can take home with them? That what practices do you suggest with your clients? Well, this is some of this sounds so simple uh, that it's like, oh, gee, you know, is that really is it really that easy? But I do think that it sets the stage, and one in particular is setting a regular time to talk about money. Um, I think that one of the callers last week, Laura, spoke about the same thing. Having, especially early on, a weekly meeting is not a bad idea. And then to go to every other week. But if you have a regular time on the calendar to talk about money, that's different than waiting for the temperature to get hot enough to talk about money for the crisis or the discomfort to get to, you know to a certain threshold as the trigger of oh now we need to talk about money when there's right. a, when there's a, a pattern of having these conversations that in and of itself um, I can't tell you how many times uh, people I've worked with have said you know that's that's really just been helpful to know that oh yeah on Tuesday night we're going to have that conversation and then to to look forward you know to doing it at that time. Right, and it takes practice, and you'll miss some, but it's it gets to be a habit that you can't imagine that you have enough time to set aside an hour on Tuesday night, and before you know it, it is part of your pattern. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've that I've worked with clients on, especially clients who have younger children, is opening up up the conversation in a sort of a game like way. You know, for example. Mm. If a if if a grandparent say uh, says to a child, and it can be it can be as young as four or five. As I said last week, I don't think you can start talking early enough to kids about money. Mm-hmm. It can be four or five. It can be eight or ten. But having an activity that uh, that is a shared activity that happens to be around money when when I was a kid my grandfather told us that he would give us a quarter if we backed up the tractor if we backed up a trailer straight with a tractor and you can bet (laughs) that I worked pretty hard to do that but something else that that clients that I've worked with clients on is a grandparent for example saying to the grandchild why don't we pick a charity and I will I will donate X, it can be a couple of dollars, it can be a lot of money, it can be whatever, whatever you as the grandparent decide. But the child is the one who chooses the beneficiary, which mm. means that you have conversations around what the child's interests are, what the child's 
values maybe or developing values mm-hmm. and when they're mm-hmm. when they're young you can you start to shape some of that conversation and as they transition in age the conversation changes but mm-hmm. starting early is a really good idea and that one i love the idea that you've just suggested there cuz i can picture it let's say that it's to the 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 zoo or to something that's a physical location then yeah. you know grandma or grandpa and the ch- child or children can go visit uh they there's a way to just to follow it it can become more alive than just a financial transaction than just a transfer of money from grandpa to some organization that that they don't exactly. really understand then yeah. it starts to uh, money becomes more real one of the things that I've heard a number of times is is the parents who realize that their children think that money comes from a machine on the wall. Yes. That, it, that this, this goes back a little bit more where now there's more and more of its debit cards where money just is even more into a digital world. But I remember that period of time when everybody was getting money out of ATMs and kids interpreted it that, oh, that's where money comes. Money comes from the machine right. in the wall. So, right. you know, being able to work with kids in a way that makes money tangible. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That makes money tangible and it can be both philanthropically or it can be, uh, around allowance. Mm-hmm. You know, if a, one of our callers last week talked about his, was it his four year old who had just bought her own bicycle? Yes. Yes. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, what a terrific story around that. And it was the, I'm, I was imagining that it was the conversation around, wow, what am I saving for? What, where do I go to get it? Why do I want this bicycle? So again, it becomes more than just the, I want this thing. Mm-hmm. You can guide a conversation that is around around finite assets. So if you know that something costs a certain amount, the conversation can be around what choices you're making. If you have $10, you can buy either this thing or mm-hmm. this thing. That mm-hmm. The children, again, at whatever age, they begin to realize that they are making choices and trade-offs. Yep. And to your point about not about money coming from walls, you know, it it puts a finite amount around the conversation mm-hmm. and the transaction. Making it more tangible. That's something yeah. I find myself doing quite a bit as a financial coach. In the midst of the conversation, I'll be saying something like, can you put a number on that? How yeah. much do you think that is? And, and it, it there's, you know, people, I can tell it feels a little pushy when I do it, but yeah. so many of our money conversations stay in the theoretical or stay right. in the undefined. And if we right. can, if, if we can, uh, both, you know, myself as a coach, that's part of my job, but when, when people are having a conversation with a partner or a child, to make it more tangible, the way to make it more tangible is to put a specific number on it. And if you don't know the specific number, guess at the range. Okay, it's going to be between this and this. Then some of the free floating anxiety, the uncertainty around it, goes away and you've got something more definite to talk about. Yes, or the other thing that I've seen happen is if somebody has this this thing about not enough or not having an idea, it means that some research is involved that then allays fears. 
yes. we've seen that happen as yeah. well. Yep. So yeah, yep. asking what is enough or how much is a really great question and it's one that doesn't that we don't ask enough. Right. Right. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to to stay caught in the in the uncertainty and then somewhat immobilized within ourselves or within this conversation that that we want to have. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm I'm realizing as we talk about this, Anne, that that we're we're talking about children this morning and how to open up conversations with children. That that there's the the four to six to eight year olds. There's the teenagers, and then yeah. there's the twenty-somethings, and they're yeah. different strategies that we need. If we just keep it, if we, you know, for simplicity, call it those three groups: the yeah. uh, the, the, the the under ten, the teenagers, and then the over twenty. Um, we have to use different strategies, and I think that we've right. we've. You know, you've spoken the one about the um, with kids being creative, finding ways to make it tangible. Let's talk a little bit now about coming back to to the caller last week. Over twenty, what yeah. what have you? Do you have any thoughts specifically about opening the conversation with twenty somethings? Well, the. It's been important in my work to first explore what the conversations have been in the past because Uh sometimes there's been no conversation about money in the family. And so you can't – my my advice or which since I try to lead from behind – I try not to give advice, but my being a good coach, being a good coach. Yeah, my conversation generally is: How are you going to begin to to have those conversations? Because it's really it's really challenging to just jump right in and talk about money. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to. It's really important to think about what the conversations have been in the past and try to bring them up to date or how you have had a successful conversation around another subject mm-hmm. and apply that success to the money conversation. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I like that one in, in, in finding it's like, okay, so where do the conversations flow easily? Where in your life have you, have you been able to have conversations about somewhat difficult subjects? And what can you take from that? What wisdom can you take from those conversations into this? Let's talk about some, something that's got a money uh, attachment to it now. Yeah, and maybe, you know, we got some great questions in our email, and maybe we could go to some specific questions because it's, because that's what we're here for, right? To give Mm -hmm. our, to give our listeners. Um, and you, you mentioned one about, uh, student loans. Do you want to read that one off? That's the one here from, uh, Sandra. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am the parent of a child who is living with the burden of a very substantial student loan. Although he is employed in the field he went to college for, he is having trouble meeting the repayment schedule with both his government and private student loans. His back is quite literally against the wall. Boy, that's a tough situation. There's a second paragraph here that I want to get to, but I just want to comment. This is one of the most difficult situations, I think, that that we're seeing if we go to the larger, that there's a huge section of our population. There's this cuts across the 20 and 30 yeah. somethings that have yeah. this kind of student loan debt. Um, and so that's, this is, this is good. I'm glad that Sandra wrote in about this one. She goes Absolutely. on to say, my question is this, how do you open up a multi-generational conversation within the family, i.e. his grandparents to consider another form of repayment? 
That is borrowing money from them with a payback schedule with a less intrusive chokehold on his life because the very real-life consequences of not repaying these loans could impact him for the rest of his life. Um, at this point in time, defaulting is a very real possibility. Okay, so this is a tough situation, and what she's saying is how can she open up the conversation with her her parents, his grandparents? So that's a... Um, that's one of the ones that that it would I would start with the the comment that you just made Anne, of what kind of a conversation has this woman been able to have with her parents beforehand uh, around money specifically is this a new topic for this family to talk openly about money uh, yeah. and if it is they'll need to start with baby steps I would think yeah I'm really struck by the fact that she apparently is the intermediary in this situation and and introduced so her challenge is talking with the kids and uh, talking with the kids or her son about his responsibility and then strategizing with him about how to have a conversation with the grandparents mm-hmm mm-hmm so there okay. are two two conversations that she is in the middle of. On yes, that. on both sides. Okay, right. on that point, we're gonna we're gonna need to take a break. You're listening to Money in Your Life, um, and I'm Brian Farr, and Ann Hutchins is on the other side of this desk, and we look forward to speaking with you when we return. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfar.com. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Anne Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Anne's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Money in Your Life with Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back. This is Brian Farr and Ann Hutchins on Money in Your Life. And this morning, we are talking about kids and money. Uh, kids who are under 10, teenagers, and also kids who are over 20. Uh, we just wrapped up before the break talking about a situation where a mother um, wants to have a conversation with her parents and her and her son regarding student loan debt. Um, did you have any more thoughts on that one, Ann? I guess what I would say, because I think it's important for us to give our listeners maybe something to to take away, and I would encourage her to sit down with her son and talk about his responsibility and have him come up with a plan in the conversation because it sounds like he has he's overwhelmed and afraid of mm-hmm. the debt and the burden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's okay. the first thing to fear to face so, so that's a conversation between mom and son yeah okay what is what are your thoughts yeah yeah, I think that's true because there's there's a risk here that mom's going to end up being a, uh, a courier. She's going to be shuttling back and forth between son and grandparents, um, and and get caught up in kind of a triangle. And if she can open up that conversation with her son, and then I would guess have a similar kind of a conversation, open up that conversation with her parents, and then ideally have the three of them together. Um, but be real clear that mom's not caught in a triangle, that, it, that it's all three people have a voice. All th- the grandparents, the mom, and the son all have voices, independent voices in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be, it would be the ideal, would be the, what, what I think you'd want to aim towards in this situation. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Okay. Let's see. I think there was another um, – Here's another uh, email from Tom in Washington, D.C. When my children were small, each one opened a savings account in our local bank, and they were happy to note their deposits and interest add up. Now banks pay almost no interest. Do you have any idea on how to encourage the little ones to save? So he's from Silver Springs, Maryland. Thank you, Tom. Any thoughts on that one, Ann? Well, I'm interested. I would be so interested to have that conversation because it sounds like the the excitement was around the interest adding up, not the not the principal. And mm-hmm. if they're saving, they're going to see the principal adding up. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, maybe the conversation is begins to be around. The, they're not this being a low interest rate environment and finding something that is appropriate that has a different interest rate or payment. I I agree with you, but I also think when 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 he says that when my children were small, and I just I think that the smaller kids, uh, the kids who are ten and twelve and under, that I think we do need to give them something to to see that it's worthwhile, to see that it's adding up. And one way that that I have seen do that is is a match. 
is that the, the oh that's a great idea yeah so then it grows and it's it's growing at, at twice the rate say if if for every dollar that the that the, the kids put in the parents put match it with a dollar um the, the so that's that's a way to to make it really grow you, basically you want to get their eyes to get big and say wow that's very cool you know and it is true tom's point's very good that the the magic of compounded interest doesn't seem very magical when you're getting, you know, 0.3 or even 1.5. Um, and so, if we can bump that up a little bit when kids are young, then we can we can get them intrigued and uh, appreciative of the value of putting money aside. Well, you know, it strikes me that that's a really great idea. It strikes me that the other thing that that does is introduce them to a concept they will face later in life if they're working, which is the 401k and a match on a 401k, a retirement plan. <laughs> and, very- you know, we talk we talk a lot about families being the first community that kids know. And it you want to create a relatively – as safe as you can. You want to create a safe environment for the kids to learn and to make mistakes around money and finance and not be afraid to ask questions. So mm-hmm. introducing them at this early stage to the concept of a match is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's a key piece that you've just said there, that that age-appropriate exposure to, to, to money is, is so helpful because um, – I can't tell you how many people I've worked with who came out of families where there was no conversations around money. Mom and dad did it on their own, and so the kids grew up essentially in a vacuum. And the first time they encountered real money conversations was in their early 20s when they got a credit card. And they just, yeah. they, you know, they were experiencing with bigger dollar amounts. So yeah. when parents can introduce smaller, uh, smaller amounts and keep the parental, uh, training wheels, so to speak, keep the, th- the financial training wheels in place, then children can bump up. We're all going to make mistakes when we start working with money. And so if we do it with small mistakes, then we don't get freaked out and paralyzed by it, but we can be guided by parents and go, oh, so that was a mistake, and now this time I'll do it differently. And then there'll be a couple successes after that, and the parents can, can praise them for those successes and tie it back into, okay, that was the way that didn't work. This is the way that's working now. Isn't that a good thing and the child goes wow i like this so walking yeah. walking kids into a relationship with money is is a key part of this okay great and it looks like we have a a caller on the line do you want to uh-huh. take that brian yes we have Lori from florida hello Lori. Uh, hello um can you hear me yes yes, yes. loud and clear I've, I've been interested in your conversation, and I, I have uh, young children. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and I've been wanting to work with them more of, um, about learning about money. You know, I, I, my son definitely thought for a good while that money came out of the wall and was very alarmed when I told him that the wall was actually taking that money out of my account that I had put it in there. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, what? They're taking it from you? <laughs> um, <laughs> So I would like to work with them more about money and buying things, but they don't have any money. And I'm wondering Uh if you have good ideas about how to help them earn money at that age, because I'm not sure 
what I want to tie money to. You know, there's there's so much back and forth about should you pay children for doing chores around their the house, or should that just be part of their family responsibility? At this stage, I um I am paying my son for practicing his violin. He receives a penny for every line of the song he practices, but it's not adding up very quickly. So, so it is saying <laughs> the violin practice, but we're not learning much about money other than <laughs> it goes dink when it hits the piggy bank. Um, any, any ideas for ha- appropriate ways to help them earn money at young ages that, um, that, that don't, won't kind of screw up how they think about money later and, and earning money? Right. Well, how do you want them to think about money? Well, I guess that you you work for it and that you earn it and then you get to choose how you spend it and that you have a finite amount and you have to make choices about, you know, if if you want things, how you're going to get them. But at this stage in their lives, most of the things, I mean, obviously everything they get really just comes from us or from grown-ups. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's making that transition, I suppose, you know, something like an allowance or something like that, but well, then there's not really there, a work component or an earned component involved unless maybe just being part of the family entitles you to some earnings. Part of that, but what one of the things that i talk with my clients about is the importance of separating money from earning allowance from earnings okay so what what you talked about was the value of work for for pay and if you set up chores that are that are age appropriate with an amount that you decide is appropriate. It gives them a responsibility and also the understanding of being paid for work done that may be above and beyond the normal household functioning. Right. Mm. Right. Does that make so sense? Where, where they're expected to put away their toys as part of yeah. the family, if they wash all of the living room windows... That could yeah. be something they earn money exactly, for. Exactly, exactly right. So it's separate from what you hope they'll do on a daily basis, like make their bed and clean up their room. Right. But it gives them the beginning of understanding about, where, oh, oh, this is what work does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about allowances in general that are not tied to work? Well, I think every family has to decide that. I, I think there are no wrong choice. Personally, there there are no wrong choices. It's the how you present them and the conversations that you have around that allowance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sort of what so, is that allowance for? So I do perhaps think- a, uh, framing it as up until now, we have bought you things. Now we are going to give you an allowance so you can choose how you want to buy things yourself. Exactly, and supplement it with work things. And if you want something that you can't afford through your allowance, then you can do these chores to earn ex- extra money or save your money from birthday or Christmas. Or mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Brian, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, I think that what you've come to is it's that combination of that there's the the things that we do because we're part of a family and and to not tie a dollar value to that, but that an allowance can be can be framed as something that here's some money that that you're going to have on a on a weekly basis and as it, as they get older it can be uh further out so that they get used to managing money over 2 weeks or a full month that kind of a thing um and that it, it it can it's like Ann saying that to, so it's framed in such a way that that this is the money that they have to work with and and I like what you said Lori that rather than us doing for this we're rather than us buying these things for you we're going to give you an allowance now and you're going to be able to manage that so that's the second piece of it. And then this third piece of being able to earn additional money uh, then gets them tied into the sense of, okay, I can, I can earn money. I can uh, be uh, self-supporting on my own efforts. I can add to the, the money in my bank account. I think those are, those are three different areas that can all be developed um, over time with kids. Exactly, and over time you begin to make a transition, less allowance, more earnings, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not dependent on parents. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, Lori, thanks very much for calling in today. Um, we have somebody, let's see now. We actually we have-, have our guest, Kate. Oh, we've gotten past the technical has- difficulties. Yes, she has. she is on hold, so... Can we, get, you, Brian. can we get Kate on the line? Hi. Hello. Oh, Hello. I'm so glad. I have Sorry, appeared. Hi, Kate. With many apologies and much embarrassment. I'm well, very Well, we are sorry so that, delighted to have you here. I, yes. And I, um, I got to hear some of your conversation with Lori, and I thought you all came to a wonderful place. <laughs> so it was heartening to know that that the conversation about money, which is is um, my, I guess my main message, um, was taking place. And the only thing I wanted to add Please. was that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that tying money to the violin lessons or practicing seemed um, uh, not such a good idea. Because it turns out that money really doesn't motivate us that well to to do to do things, and you want violin to or music, whatever the instrument is, to be something that you have enjoyment about and passion about, and that you understand the intrinsic that the that the child understands the intrinsic value in that practice, and that money can mess with that. Money can can contaminate um, the the direct experience of something. Um, but other than that, I thought it was really wonderful where um, where where the conversation led in terms of having allowance and um, having money tied to the tasks of everyday life in the household. That's what I was curious to ask you, Kate. Was so what you're saying there is that that tying money to tasks. Um, Lori had said something about I think it was washing windows. So there's that you're seeing a difference between something like developing an appreciation for music, but you're saying that tasks that that earning money for tasks that that does seem okay. That's fine. That's work. That's the work of the household. 
You know, not maybe you don't want to pay somebody to to make breakfast for the family, but to uh, the the child. But you can pay the child money to take out the garbage if that's not one of their ordinary tasks, or to to wash the car. Um, we, we want we want money tied to work and to energy, but we don't want it tied to things that are are. Um, pleasurable or our hobbies or, or um, uh, because because money there's actually a disincentive uh, from 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 some it, it can provide a disincentive to okay. doing things okay that you just well, do it for the money and that's not enough studies uh, show that it's really not even in the workplace that that people have to be, have to be engaged with the activity other than routinized, repetitive, uh, boring tasks. Those, mm-hmm. that having a money incentive for those are, are, uh, is very helpful. But having, having money tied to figuring out a problem, a solution to a problem, or, um, or writing a symphony, or writing a book, or something artistic, something creative, money is a disincentive. Okay. All right. Well, that's fascinating. We need to take a break here, uh, and then we'll be back shortly uh, with Kate Levinson, the author of Emotional Currency. You have money in your life, and we look forward to speaking with you more just after the break. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The goal of financial coaching is to open up the conversation around money with your spouse, your children, or your extended family. Ann Hutchins works with individuals, families, and financial professionals to improve relationships with money. Her work with clients is confidential, honest, and fun. Visit Ann's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.abhutchins.com. That's abhutchins.com. Do you have financial goals for yourself? Do you want to be smart with money in all areas of your life? If you're ready to become more effective with your personal finances, then you might be ready to hire a financial coach. Since 2002, Brian Farr has helped hundreds of people improve their relationship with money. He's unbiased, honest, and approachable. If you'd like to learn more about financial coaching, visit Brian's website and schedule a free 15-minute consultation at www.brianhfarr.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you're listening to money in your life with brian farr and ann hutchins to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Money in Your Life, and I'm Brian Farr, and Ann Hutchins is my co-host, and today we're speaking with Kate Levinson. 
Um, we also have a caller online who's been waiting very patiently, and we're going to take the caller. This is Dana from Oregon, and then Kate, I'm going to ask you to, to work with us in, in answering what Dana's bringing. My pleasure. Hi, Hello, Dana. Dana. Hi there. Welcome. Hello. Well, what's on your mind this morning? You have money in your life. I definitely have money in your life, and, and I'm a therapist, and um, there's nothing like bringing the conversation to a standstill with a couple when I ask, so how much do you make? I mean, it's just there's always this huge silence, and then we can get into what, you know, what's, what's going on with it. Um, what I, I wanted to, this is not so much a question that I, I have about kids, we were talking about kids this morning, but I wanted to tell you quickly about a young 16-year-old girl I interviewed about 10 years ago. I was writing a story on Vicki Robin, who wrote Your Money or Your Life. You probably know that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, as background information, uh, collateral stories, I interviewed some people who had used her book to um, change their lives. And in that book, it's, you know, do things for yourself, do things with your community. You don't have to spend money to get things done. Learn how to change your own oil, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, their premise was squirrel away all the money you save into treasury bonds, and then you can live off the interest. Well, those days are gone, but we can still be in charge of our own finances. Anyway, so I interviewed this young girl, and she told me that her father lost his job. And this very smart family, um, and I'm thinking of what Anne said about family is the first community, this very smart mother and father sat their kids down and said, we're going to have some tough times here, so we're all going to have to pitch in. And we're not going to be able to give you an allowance anymore. So I'll make this short. The 16-year-old girl took it upon herself to figure out how to get what she wanted without money, which meant that, or with very little money, which meant that she would go to Goodwill. She would do all her, buy all her clothes at Goodwill and took great pride when people at school would say, wow, that's a cute shirt or something, and she would just smile to herself because they wouldn't know where she'd gotten it. She only shopped at thrift stores. If she wanted to go to a concert, she would um, call up and ask if they needed an usher or if there's something she could do to earn her way to, to, to get into the concert. She also had a part-time job, and I said, um, so what do you do with, what are you doing with the money you make from, from your job? And she said, oh, I'm saving it. And I said, what, you're, you're saving it? And she said, I said, what are you saving it for? And she said, well, I want to go to Hawaii next February with my friends. Huh. And I was so impressed with how she was, you know, learning what was important to her, what, what, what the money was, she, what, what the money meant for her. And, yes, and so she they, was getting yeah. there down into it. And I just wondered your, your thoughts on this. I, I guess I just have um, a few comments. One is that some kids, some people are just, naturally resourceful and they they recognize right that uh how how to make money how to save money they just they have a healthy relationship with money yeah and that um challenges financial challenges deprivations often can help teach us that 
And even though I missed the beginning of Lori's question, I think that parents who have a lot of financial resources worry much more about their kids and how they're going to learn the value of money. That when there are limited choices, limited funds, sometimes it's actually easier to to be proactive, to be active about about earning money and and to learn the value and it sounds like that's what what she did that she was really able to to feel self reliant to yes. be self reliant and and to um uh, to know how to how to make it in the world those those kinds of lessons uh, often uh, women that I've talked to with inherited wealth are very envious of knowing that you can make it in the world. So, so here a lot of people who've grown up uh, poor or or with with uh, fewer resources are envious of people who've been gifted with money, but that the people who've been gifted are envious of the of girls like this girl who who actually knows that the, the kind of security and confidence that comes from knowing that that you can make it and that you can have and earn some of what you want uh, that's a it's a really powerful way to go through life right to be able to identify what you want make goals and and know that you're not going to get them all. Um, there will be some disappointments, but that you can achieve some of those goals. So, I mean, what you described is someone who's really seems healthy about money in many ways. So thank you so much, Jenna, for sharing that and for having conversations in therapy because a lot of therapists, uh, you know, it's really, it, it is a taboo topic, even in therapy. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, what else? What else can you tell us about uh, working with children, money, and, and kids, and these these you know multi generational, like also in terms of involving grandparents into the conversation? Well, no, that kind of the touchstone of my work is conversations about money. Is is knowing, looking at money as we look at anything psychological in our lives, so that we understand ourselves and our own money makeup, what the influences were on how we think about money, how we feel about money, how we use money, uh, how we earn money. And that once we have some beginning sense of, of what money means to us and our emotional attachments to money, our blocks to money, then having conversations with our partners and our children and our parents and telling each other about money uh, in our lives so that our kids know where we came from, who influenced us, uh, what, what, the, what the inner landscape of our money lives are. And, so, and talking to our parents about their, their inner landscapes. And how you do that is just by telling stories about money. It's, okay. uh, it's not, um, it's not an outline ABC. I was born and, uh, this happened and that happened. But, but it's telling the stories about how, what, you know, my first job or, um, or, or what it was like when I got an allowance or what it was like mm-hmm. for grandma or grandpa. Um, okay. talking, having family conversations about money. Much like Dana said that, that the parents, uh, when the father lost his job, they didn't just go through that 
privately. And that's how most people do. We feel a lot of shame about money, so we hide about money. But the parents at some point after, hopefully, they digested the situation. Some brought the kids in and and gave them um, amazing lessons about this is what you do when you face money difficulties. You know, we gather together and we come up with solutions together and we, we manage the emotions of the situation together rather than, than um, having a lot of worry and tension felt in the family, but the kids not really knowing what was, what, what's going on. Okay. Yeah. I'm interested. The, um, you know, f- f- I'm sure that we have listeners out there who've, who come from families where there were conversations around money, but, but for people who've, who, for whom this is all brand new, that, that, I'm guessing they're going to need to get this conversation with themselves first. They'll they'll need to be telling, kind of exploring their own stories around money before they can really get moving forward in the conversations in the family. Do you exactly. find that that's true? Exactly. I don't think we can talk as as uh, parents, as children, as professionals, either financial advisors or therapists. I don't. I don't think we can really talk to people about money, not with any kind of depth or understanding, if we don't locate ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And that process is, um, you know, there's a lot of resistance to that process in the culture. You know, the, the powers that be um, don't, really don't want us to look at money. So, uh, you know, we could do a whole show, or you will do shows, I'm sure, on on, on the difference between looking at money financially and looking at it emotionally. And, and so we all have to break through some kind of resistance, internal, personal resistance we have to looking at money emotionally. But once we do, it's, it's, it becomes fascinating for most people. And so you just, you begin by asking yourself that my book, Emotional Currency, is filled with lots of questions looking, looking at our money, our lives in terms of our experiences with money. But we begin by asking ourselves, you know, very, very elementary questions about what did I learn from my mother? How would my mother deal with this? Um, uh, how would, how did my mother treat me in terms of money and your father and looking at their relationship about money and getting, uh, uh, beginning to fill in the picture of how, how I learned about money, what I've learned about money. And then down the line, you can make some choices about, well, is this really how I feel? But as long, is this really how, not how I feel, is this really how I want to feel about money? Is this really the relationship I want to have with money? But until you see what, what is true now, you, you don't want to go about changing it. You can't go about changing it. And most of us, I certainly, it was certainly true for me, most of us are really unaware of our relationship with money. It, it, strange because we touch it every day, we deal with it every day, but looking at it in a deeper way, most of us um, are blind to to what's really going on. So we make a decision, with a, for example, a budgetary decision, and we say, okay, this is what I want to do, but we hit we hit up against what's what's going on in our unconscious. What 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 our deeper feelings are, and that may may they may be in conflict with our conscious feelings. And until we're aware of what those other feelings are, feelings of deprivation, perhaps, or 
feelings of um, reward, needing to reward ourselves or that we deserve to have those things. I mean, just there's a endless list of what, what you know, our po- possible relationships to money. Until we make that conscious, okay. we can't change that. Yes. Sorry, I, this is Anne. I just wanted to break in because our time is short. Yes. And I, I wonder, I want to pick up on something that you said about the institutions and advisors. The, you know, the environment has been not friendly for a lot of people uh, since 2008. It's getting better, the economic environment. What advice would you give to financial advisors in in regards to this topic of having an opening up an easier conversation with their clients around money. And believe it or not, your answer has to be in one minute. Well, I think the, the shift has started to happen with some advisors, but basically to work with people emotionally, to bring the whole person into the room, to not to have some transparency about the financial information, help educate people financially, but recognize that money is, that our feelings are integral to our relationship to money and that they need to be worked to, with as well. And that, okay. that, that there's fear right now and that there's shame and that, that the financial professionals need to be able to recognize that and work with those, um, with their clients. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, uh, Kate. That's it, it, your question, Anne, and then Kate's answer is opening up a topic that we're going to address in future shows because uh, it, it is a critical issue: how to bring the emotions into this conversation around finances. I'm so, so glad you're doing the show, and I am so sorry once again that I uh, missed the beginning of it. Thank well, you so technical much for difficulties me. will be yeah, what they right. are. Thank you for joining us today, Kate. And um, this has been money in your life. Um, I'm Brian Farr. I hope you can join us next week. Next week, we're going to have Luna Jaffe. Uh, Her book is Wild Money, and uh, she has got a lot of interesting – she was a therapist and then became a financial advisor and has been a financial advisor for over 15 years now. So she brings a very interesting perspective to it, and I think it's going to speak to what uh, Kate was just describing. So, Anne, it's always a pleasure working with you. Absolutely, and we look forward to your emails. Please send them to moneyinyourliferadio at gmail.com. And have a good week. We'll look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you again next week. Thank you for making Money in Your Life part of your financial plan this week. Please join your hosts, Ann Hutchins and Brian Farr, again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 